0: On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you in your relationship? If you are in love, if life is good, awesome. Our conversation today will be a heads up, a just in case kind of conversation for you. Now, if you're unhappy, you need to turn this up. You need to share this link with every friend you know who is thinking about calling it quits because we are going to go over the biggest divorce mistakes most women make. If you have a kid about to graduate from high school, we're going to explain the Parents Plus loan and why so many experts urge parents to stay away from it and how to teach kids about investing even if you're not the best at it yourself. Thank you for taking time to be here to listen to the Seven Figures podcast. I say it all the time. It really doesn't matter how big your paycheck is. I make a very modest paycheck. And I know firsthand, you can absolutely be financially confident with just a little bit of knowledge and understanding of what's going on with your money. And then that is gonna make you a better role model for your kids. All right, before we tackle the common divorce mistakes, let's start the show with no dumb questions. Time for No Dumb Questions. Erica Cummings, a CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management, hosted the podcast, A Strong Woman for Strong Women. Thank you for doing this with us every week.
1: Absolutely. Love it.
0: Let's talk specifically about parents plus loan, because some experts say, hey, try to steer far away from that.
1: So obviously, our children are our most prized possessions, and we are incredibly dedicated to their future and we want them to have, you know, this amazing life. And a lot of times we are quick to make decisions for their secondary education because we think, you know, whatever college they go to, whatever they do is going to definitely dictate their, their future down the road. And so we're constantly looking for ways to, to be able to find funding for them to get the best education. When students go and they look for their loans, they go directly to oftentimes to direct plus loans with the government. So they have their own direct loans. Direct parent plus loan are basically the same type of thing. It's a federal loan. Some of the biggest issues with the parent plus loans that we run into is the interest rates are higher. uh, That's locked in. So sometimes we ask parents to possibly look at other avenues. Also see, have you exhausted every single way that your child can get access to funding? Because typically your direct loans to the children, grants, any type of scholarships, there's all types of ways that you can try to find funding out there that doesn't have to result in these higher interest rate loans. But let's say this is this is the route you have to go. Uh, basically, you can borrow the maximum amount is the cost of the attendance at the school minus any financial assistance your child is receiving. You have to make payments after the child um, is enrolled at least half time or an additional six months after your child graduates. So,
0: this though, a parents plus loan, because I do have a good friend that was like, I was a little bit confused by all the yeah. jargon they were throwing at me. And I just felt too embarrassed to speak up, which is exactly why we do no dub questions. And she got stuck with this loan and then discovered, oh, wait a minute, this is all on me. So, this is 100%. her credit. This is the it's parents' credit. Cre- okay. Yep.
1: Her credit, her loan. And this is why. Now, we all hope that our kids follow the exact trajectory that we had planned, and they're going to finish their education in four years, and they're going to graduate with the degree that they originally started with, and everything's going to work out perfectly, and it's a great investment, but we know that about 25 to 30% of kids actually change schools within the first year. So a lot can change with whatever their future holds. You're locked into whatever those changes are when it comes to a Parent PLUS loan. Mm. It is 100%, and, and really, hopefully, regardless of whether or not it was the right decision, you're making those payments so it doesn't affect your credit. But you have to keep in mind that this is like a student loan. It You cannot bankrupt it away. So much like we've talked about in the past, you cannot file for bankruptcy and make this loan go away. It stays with you. So it's something you want to, I would say, do as a last resort, if you can possibly find other ways. Okay. Because ultimately you're going to be responsible for this and it may affect what and we've talked about this before your your credit score and the things that it affects that people don't even think about their electric bills, their ability to get good insurance, all of this stuff can now be tied to your credit score. So this is yet another thing that you're going to be putting on your credit history that could adversely affect it. These are those things where it's there for you, but you really want to be, uh, you know, really careful yeah. about taking on this type of debt.
0: Yeah. Okay. Erica, how can we, uh, if we need to learn more about this, ask you more questions about it, or just reach out to you for any other financial advice, how can we find you? You can find
1: us at the Harmony Financial We also have our podcast on there that you can link to, especially the ladies out there. It's called A Strong Woman for Strong Women. You can email me directly at erica.comings at rbc.com. And we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. If
0: you're dealing with it right now, going through a divorce, we're giving you the biggest hug ever because there is so much on your mind right now. I could only imagine. The emotions, uh, the fears, the insecurities, all of it. Kitty Bressington is here. She's an expert at this. She will help you navigate through this divorce process and warn you about the biggest mistakes women make when going through a divorce. She's coming up next. <music> Financial Consultants, Founding Director of the Nonprofit Foundation for Women's Financial Education, CFP, CDFA, Kitty Bresington is here. How are you, Kitty? I'm
2: well, and I'm so glad to speak
0: with you today. Oh, I am so glad we connected as well. Now, let's first go over what the letters in your title (laughs) mean, because they hold a lot of weight. I mean, you work damn hard for those letters. I did, I yes. did.
2: So uh, CFP is a certified financial planner and it's one of the gold standards of the designations for financial planning. It means we went through a series of classes and we took a series of exams. And more importantly, we take ongoing continuing education to make sure that we are up to date on what's going on in the industry and we hold ourselves to an ethical standard. So if you're out and about looking for an advisor or interviewing a bunch, mm-hmm. you really want, you know, a CFP or one of the other gold standard. CHFC is another good one. Um, you know, that's their main criteria their credential. They might have other letters after their name. They might have a whole string after their name, but they're just making up
0: letters. Just oh put yeah. In. You know, this weekend I'm going to be a DMV or
2: something. <laughs> um, but yeah, you really want one of the anchor ones to okay. work with you because we look at the big picture. We aren't really just very you know siloed in the work that we do it's it's okay. a holistic approach the cdfa is a certified divorce financial analyst so it means i take all of that cfp stuff and i lay it on top of a divorce and so we look in that case that's my silo i look at how money works during the divorce process okay. and is this An equitable split? And if so, how are you going to look five years out, 10 years out, 20 years out when maintenance stops, when child support stops, and all of those financial aspects of getting divorced, which finances are the number two reason for divorce in the US?
0: Have you seen an uptick since COVID? Is there a correlation between the pandemic being stuck together and divorce? Are you noticing?
2: So we're noticing a little bit of an uptick, not at first, because I think people were like, oh my gosh, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. they were, you know, it's kind of stretched out into, wow, I'm looking at your face. <laughs> <way.">
0: <laughs> wow, those habits <laughs>
2: really do tick me off. <laughs> and what we told a lot of people like backfall Fall is, you know, that's what retirement feels like. So if this isn't gonna feel good, you either need to start to work on this now as a relationship or see if you're gonna stick around until retirement. Oh my so goodness
0: interesting. I yeah. never thought of it like that. It's
2: true. You're both retired. Now you're home all the time. Yeah.
0: yeah, but there's a little bit more stress. There was a little bit more stress this time
2: was around. a little bit more you Just think? a little
0: bit. The kids hopefully will be out of the house by the time you retire. I don't know. They're coming back. (laughs) I know. We'll pray for you. You know what I saw, Kitty, and I don't know if you're seeing this too, but they say the number one thing that most people do right after divorce is move back in with their parents. Particularly the female with the kids. So you end up with three generations in the house. And is it because of financial reasons or is it just because they need support?
2: Primarily financial, primarily financial. Um, Generally speaking, the majority of women going through a divorce are the, um, the lower power end of things, the lower financial literacy end mm. of things. Um, and because of that, they sometimes don't make great decisions about, you know, fighting for what is their equitable share. The majority of states in the U.S. are equitable. That doesn't mean equal. You know, 50-50 is equal. And there are seven states that do that. But the rest of the states, equitable means You both come out of it, you know, as equitably as possible with an equal lifestyle to what you used to have. And unfortunately, a lot of women don't understand that. They don't understand what they're entitled to. um, And sometimes they're bullied to give up
0: stuff that they really shouldn't. Well, you know what it is? And this is like basic financial 101. You got to take the emotion out of it. And the court is going to take the emotion out of it. But yet when you're going through a divorce, money in itself is so emotional. Then you're going through this divorce with the stress of watching over your babies, your kids. There's so many emotions. Of course, you're going to make mistakes. The interesting thing is that
2: divorce as a process is a business negotiation. And so the, the chassis that it was kind of built on is a business negotiation. And there's not emotion in business. You know, it's, it's hard numbers, it's charts. Um, and so one of the first things I tell women who come to me is, you know, you need to build a team around you. With whoever from the professional world are going to help you take the emotion out of it. If you need a therapist, let's get you a therapist. If you need a child psychologist, let's get you a child psychologist. You know, let's get you a financial person, all of those pieces so that you are going in making the best educated decision possible. And if that means walking away from something, you did it because you understood the consequences, not Mm. because you felt you had to.
0: Now, do you feel like a lot of women struggle with finding the right people? Because sometimes the right people come with a cost and you don't have the money right now to spend on, Oh, let me get you on my team and you on my team. How do you navigate through that?
2: So, and that leads me to like the very first mistake. A lot of women make is the word divorce gets uttered at the bridge club or a dance class or whatever. And somebody says, well, I know a good attorney. And quite frankly, the attorney should not be your first stop. Oh, okay. It shouldn't because that there are different ways to get divorced. A lot of women don't even realize there are different ways to get divorced. Some low conflict and then the conflict, you know, can escalate. Um, And so the first thing I tell people is go see a financial person because what we're going to do is we're going to dig through all the nuts and bolts and we're going to help you set a divorce budget. And that will guide you then how much we can spend on getting divorced and where those resources are going to come from. Maybe mediation is the right way to to get divorced for you. Even high conflict clients can mediate. That's way less expensive than a litigated divorce. I mean, you're talking a factor of 10 at that point. There's always costs, absolutely, but there's also ways to mitigate that cost. Um, you can do certain stuff pro se that's as long as you're doing it, you know, right with a little outside guidance that saves some money. Um, so a financial person can, can actually make the whole process less expensive and in the, and in the meantime, prepare you for the future. The other thing with a budget is if you got, you go into your soon to be ex-spouse, we call them stubbies, you go into your, wait, stubbies, what do you call them? It's STBE. Soon to be ex, stubby.
0: Oh, stubbies! (laughs) Oh, I'd like that. Okay, I'm sure a lot of women wanted to replace that word with something else, but okay, I I know, (laughs) but I
2: can't can't do that in a (laughs) (laughs)
0: video. Okay, yeah.
2: (laughs) So we go in and we say to our stubby, you know, all right, we can spend four thousand dollars on this divorce. If he wants to escalate to litigated, he gets to pay for it. Likewise with a guy, you know, you go in fine. We're going to spend four. Well, you can get divorced for about that. Um, but that at least tries to keep the numbers down. If it escalates, it escalates, but at least we tried a good rule of thumb is you're going to spend as much to get divorced as you did to get married. And if you got married Whoa. 20 years ago, you better inflate it because it's not the same number. <gasps> oh, that's
0: gut wrenching. It's horrible. Yeah. So what is another thing that you see women? So the first one is they go straight to the lawyer, which is not good. Okay. Build your team set the, I like that whole set the standard. Okay, babe, if we're getting divorced, stubby. All right, stubby. (laughs) (laughs) If we're getting a divorce, I'm setting the limit. I'm setting the cap. I love that. What is the other, Big, big thing, because a lot of women are probably listening right now. It's like, I'm blissfully married. There's no divorce in my future. Or there's women who are listening. who's like, I don't have a stubby. so Or I don't have a guy who will never become a stubby. What is something that you want just everybody to know, no matter what stage you are in your relationship?
2: Everybody, whether you're in a relationship or not, you need to understand your money. You need to understand its power, what it can do and what it can't do. And I would have to say the number one piece that you need to understand is cash flow. That your whole life hinges on cash flow. Understanding your cash flow. The analogy I use is everybody has a diet. It might be chocolate cake and mac and cheese, but <laughs> that's your diet. <laughs> everybody has a budget, so don't don't give it that that bad connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but understand because when when things get tough and your stubby shows up and says, "I'm running off with a pole dancer, you need to know what are my core expenses? You know, what do I need if I'm cutting out all the extras, but I still need a safe roof over my head. Uh, you know, I need nutritious food on the table. I need to flip that light switch and have the lights go on. What is my core expenses, my core cash flow? Everything else flows from that, be it it retirement planning, be it college planning for your kids, be it helping out mom and dad, because we got a lot of elderly people who are not in good financial situation. If you don't understand your money flow, you can't help all of those other pieces.
0: Oh God, I love it so much. Kitty, how can we reach out to you? Cause I know we just kind of scratched the surface of what women need to know. You probably are like, wait a minute, hold up. I got four more hours of content here. But, uh, how can we reach out to you directly? And I know you hold workshops too. Where can we find out everything that you do? So we hold a
2: second Saturday workshop, um, www.womensfinancialeducation.org. We are a nonprofit. Um, we did have to shut some of the classes down because of COVID, but we're hoping to bring those on as soon as okay. we get whatever blessing we get. Um, and so the second Saturday workshop is the second Saturday of every month. Um, you can sign up on the website. I can be contacted at lindenfinancialconsultants.com. Almost forgot my own name. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn, and you can reach me there.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Okay. Teaching the kids about investing, even if you are far from being the pro yourself. Grab a chair. We take a seat at the kids' table next. Take a seat at the kids' table. Money expert Susan Beecham is here, founder of Money Savvy Generation. Hi, Susan.
3: Hey, Sandy.
0: This is my favorite part of the show. I just adore hearing from the little moochies, don't you?
3: They're (laughs) precious.
0: They are. And today we kind of asked them a tough question. What does it mean? I know, I know. What does it mean to invest and investing?
1: It means like if you're starting a business And if you're in charge, but someone else is in charge, they might ask for, like, 50%, and that's called investing. It's, if you, you can invest in the stock market, you, like, put money to something, like, you can invest in Disney, Tesla, things like that. you put money into something, and then you get money out. Like, on Shark Tank, they want to invest, they want people to invest in their company. For a certain, they need money from them, and then they get a certain amount of money back.
0: What does it mean to invest? And
1: I've heard
3: that word a lot,
1: and I don't
0: I
3: can't want to Invest. <laughs> I love that she's heard that word a lot. So um, that's the beauty of kids; they always tell us what's going on at home and who's talking about what. But what I think is very interesting in listening to these kids is you know, most people think of the word invest and they think of the stock market, but not these kids. They think of entrepreneurship. I thought that
0: was fascinating too, because if you were to ask me, I would go right to
3: stock market. Right. Well, with shows like Shark Tank Mm -hmm. and um, their age range, so they're allowed to start businesses like lemonade stands, dog walking businesses, you name it. The research tells us, again, here I am with the research, the kids' entrepreneurial instincts are like close to 90% in the early years. So like early elementary, middle school. And by the time we get to high school, we beat that down to less than 20%. We almost discourage it. We don't encourage it. So I think the idea that they're already thinking entrepreneurial is a great way, investing in yourself. It's a more um, relevant way to talk about investing with kids because It's something they can experience. And the whole point of investing is to get kids to stop, think, and reflect. So I'm going to assume that parents have already helped their child master the concept of saving first. Because saving, putting money aside, paying yourself first, that's the first step before you get to investing. So investing is a long-term goal so you can ask that little moochie at the end if you're seven (laughs) years old what do you think you might want 10 years from now and then you do the math for him 7 17. i've asked kids for years in first grade what they want 10 years from now and every boy tells me a car
0: uh yeah
3: make model number engine power color they got it all down. they got it all down Help them set a goal for something they want or need. If they're young, let's just make it a year. For kids who are a little bit older, you can go 7 to 10 years out. That's what we do with adults, something you want or need 7 to 10 years from now. Again, have them take that goal and actually put it in writing, draw a picture of it, put it somewhere where they can see it. Then, talk about what investing means. Investing can mean investing in yourself putting money aside for your college education. Investing can mean starting a little small business, talking to mom and dad or grandparents about getting some expense money so that they can buy the cups and the lemons that they need for a lemonade stand. Then there's investing in the stock market. Investing in the stock market is something kids absolutely are capable of understanding. A lot of people have said to me, really, really, they're seven years old. It's just another purchase. It's just another transaction. Have them pick a company that they really like. For my girls who loved pets that I would never let them get, they liked Petco. (laughs) So, You know, we had the advantage of being able to go to the Petco store. I said, okay, you like Petco? Let's see what one share of stock would cost. But before we do that, let's go kick the tires. So we drove over to Petco. We saw all the animals, walked around the store. You know, this is a very concrete way of teaching them how to evaluate a company. And then we went home and we went online and we looked up Petco and then virtually bought a share of stock. So how do you virtually buy a share of stock? So we printed money. Yes, we did. I actually looked into this. If you take an image of money that you can find online, you don't print both sides, you are not breaking any laws. Ah, okay. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. And we printed enough money to buy that share of stock. And once a week, Not every day. Once a week, we would go and look at the stock. We'd read some of the headlines. We'd talk about what was happening and was this a good company to invest in? If we decided it was a good company to invest in and we took our virtual money and we laid it out and we made the purchase, then we talked about when the company makes money, you make money. When the company loses money, you lose money risk. And that's something that kids can totally wrap their heads around. You just need to let them know that there's a chance you could lose money.
0: Would you suggest actually having them go through the steps of saving enough money to actually, for real, buy a share of the stock, even though there's a lot of risk tied into it? Hey, if they pick the right stock down the road when they're adults, it could actually pay out in physical,
3: real money? I've always had a problem with virtual versus real money Mm. but to teach a child because it's so easy when it's not your money you make different decisions i understand that that you know if it's just virtual money you're going to take a little more risk than you would with your real money that's why i have parents go through this virtual step first and then if a kid if a kid is really engaged With that particular company say are you ready to use some Uh, of your own money
0: all right so that comes first okay i
3: see and then when you say to the child are you ready to use your own money and they say no that's a great conversation well tell me why not i actually think because of what we've talked about in the past that the risk isn't going to bother them as much as it bothers mom and dad i think they're all about risk Uh, i spent time with first graders doing virtual investing. And these kids were worse than day traders. <laughs> and and we want them to have experience with it. And I, Sandy, for years, parents have been on me not to talk about investing with their kids. They just want to talk about saving. They just want to oh, talk about wise spending. Yeah. And they just want to talk about donating, but investing. And I tell them if you do not know or do not teach your child how to invest, you're pushing them through the gateway to poverty. You have to be able to be comfortable with the idea of long-term investing.
0: And it's fascinating because when we, uh, when we asked listeners on, on Facebook, you know, what do you wish they taught in school? A lot of people said, I wish I learned about investing in the stock market.
3: And how many people would be more inclined from day one to open their 401ks, from day one to open their 403bs?
0: Susan, thank you. Where can we follow you? How can we find you?
3: You can, of course, go to my blog, which is susanbeecham.com, And over to the right, there's an investing tab. And there's lots more information and discussion about investing tips and techniques. And then you can find some of our Money Savvy Generation award-winning products and as well some free resources at our website, MoneySavvy.com.
0: Wonderful. Have a good weekend. You too. I really hope this episode was helpful for you. If there's ever any questions you have you want us to tackle and no dumb questions, just let me know. If there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, reach out anytime, even if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. All right, we raise a glass now and we say cheers to being financially confident women.